We study God's Word together. We worship together. We fellowship together. We serve together. And so will you come? Will you come do this with us? Will you come and help the First Baptist Church of San Antonio be better together? This morning, I am Pastor Chris Johnson. I'm the senior pastor here at the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, and I don't often get over here, but I am so grateful I get to be here with you today. Uh, and even though I was late, we were doing a couple of baptisms over there. We had to take care of a couple of things over there, and we're able to get here to be with you. And so I'm I'm grateful that we get to be together. There's a couple of things that we want you to be aware of as we gather here in Lagos, and one of those is we wanna connect with you. If you are new to the First Baptist Church of San Antonio, we'd love you to, to log on online to our website, fbcsa.org slash connect, and there's a card that you can fill out there that will give us your name, your number, and help us get to know you. And so we wanna to get to know you, and we wanna know you well. Now, in a similar way, we have online giving. If you'd like to give and serve in that way, you can go to our website, fbcsa.org slash give, and you can give in that way uh, as well. Now, before I get to the sermon today, I, I wanna share a little bit from the heart, and I wanna share a little bit about who we are and where we are uh, as a church this morning. So one of our practices here is that we celebrate new life often at the end of our services, or any time one of our church members has a new baby, we call it welcome to the world. We put their pictures up on the screens at the end of the service, and we celebrate that with those new families, those new parents. And those pictures aren't just to show off those precious little babies, but they remind us as a church family, as we gather together, these new babies are part of us, that they are a gift of God, a new and innocent life from heaven. And those, those babies are brought into the care of the church. You know, similarly, last week, we had a, a, a home dedication service. We do these occasionally as well, where there's three families, and I was one of those three last week, where we lined up right here. And we prayed over these families. And again, that was intentional. That time wasn't just so we could see sweet Juliet lunge at Lonan. That, that, that time was an intentional time to say, we stand with you and your family. These are moments where the, the church takes to celebrate the miracle of new life. And we make a commitment together that when the Lord brings a new baby to us, we are committed to raising him or her up together. 
And so we, we celebrate when life is affirmed in these ways. You see, Christians long for life. And Christians celebrate life. And what we know as we search the pages of Scripture, that death and decay are always a product of a broken and sinful world. And so anytime we can move past death and into life, we celebrate. And so when we see small victories, like we saw this last Friday in the Supreme Court decision, gives us a chance to celebrate life. All those innocent little lives that matter to our God and matter to us. Now, with our celebration. And as we celebrated these new babies in recent weeks, we know that celebration comes with a commitment. You know, we show the babies on the screen. We were standing with them up here last week. We're making a commitment to the Lord, and we're making a commitment to those parents to love and to protect and to help raise those children up in the ways of the Lord. And in light of this recent political decision. Our church is going to do our part to be committed to nurturing any new life God brings across our paths in the days ahead. And surely he will and will continue to do so. And so may we celebrate the mercies of our God and commit to serve faithfully as he calls us to with every one of these new little lives. Let's pray together and then we'll get to the sermon. Lord, we thank you for this time together. And we pray that as we gather around your word and as we gather in song, Lord, we would recognize your goodness. We would see it and we would feel it. Lord, we would know it among one another. And Lord, now as we come to the pages of Acts chapter 2, Lord, we pray we'd be inspired, that we would, we would know you more intimately and be the church that you've called us to be. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. If you would, stand with me. We're going to read aloud together the text for today. It's Acts chapter 2. We'll start in verse 42. You'll see it on the screens or in your bulletin. This, then, is the text for today. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and their possessions and were sharing with them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. We come to a text today that Christians have been fearful of. And in particular, American Christians have been fearful of. I think many of us read and know this text, and we wonder how it might convict us. That one line in there 
causes some of us to move along quickly, our hearts hoping that if we skim the line without lingering, Jesus might not say to us what he said to the rich young ruler. We will do like a child and put our fingers in our ears and turn away. Or if we don't do that, we might say, surely this cannot mean what it says it means. Can verse 45 be true? When I get to Acts chapter 2, verse 45, one, is that true? And is that true of me? People in the church were selling their property. They were combining resources to help one another. But most of us in this country, and even in the churches of this country, we freeze and we clench our fists and we reassure ourselves that surely it can't mean that. If I sold my property, I wouldn't have anywhere to live. See, a lot of us picture this life A lot of us have been taught that this is the way life works, that life is like a ladder. And the rungs of this ladder are economic status. They are the amount of your paycheck. They are the amount of money that you have in savings. They are the amount of money that you have in retirement. And this life then is about moving up that ladder so that those numbers continue to grow so that there is no peak that's high enough, that you do everything that you can to climb higher and higher upon that ladder. And what we are taught in this country is that you never go backwards down that ladder. You always go up and you fight as much as you can to get higher and higher to a dollar figure that's beyond what you thought was was possible one day before. Now, it's just like Jesus told the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. Remember in Matthew chapter 19, this man comes up to Jesus. The scripture tells us he's a rich man. The scripture tells us he has much authority. And he comes to Jesus with this genuine sense of longing. That he understands in his life, he doesn't have it all together. He has wealth. And he has power, but there is something missing. And he comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, teach me of the eternal things. Teach me of of life that is different. And so he and Jesus, they go back and forth about the commandments. Do not murder, do not steal, honor your father and mother. And the rich young ruler has is, 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 is been good, and he's checking those boxes. And he says, yes, 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 I'm good on all of those. But, but, he, but he presses on, and he says, Jesus, I've been doing those, and, and it, it still feels lacking. Jesus, what else? What else is there? And Jesus gives him an answer that causes him to pause. Jesus looks at him and says, well, sell everything, everything you've got, everything in your possession, get rid of it all, give the proceeds to the poor, and then he says, follow me.
when he said that. The text is a bit ambiguous. It says the rich guy walks away from Jesus sulking as if he's in grief because he was so high up on that ladder. So he had the same problem that we have. We, we want Jesus, but, but we want Jesus in a way that will help us go up that ladder, right? So that the ladder becomes everything, and, and in as much as Jesus can help me climb up that ladder, I want Jesus. But what we often see in and around the churches in this country is any moment that Jesus seems to say, why don't you take a step down that ladder? We don't want to have anything to do with that. See, when Jesus told the rich young ruler, choose me or choose your stuff, he didn't know what to say. He had an answer for everything else. But when Jesus said, you're standing at a crossroads and you can have me and the kingdom of God, or you can have all the stuff that's in your closet, and you can have all the stuff that's in your bedroom. You can have all the stuff that's in your garage. Do you want that, or do you want the kingdom of God? And he didn't know how to answer that question. You know, most people are generally okay with Jesus's basic teachings. Most people like the idea of love your neighbor as yourself because someone might love them well. But generally, we want Jesus to add to what we have. We want Jesus to say, fill my coffers and give me more. Bless me with, with property that's increasing, right? It's like the, the prayer of Jabez, which is a biblical prayer. Lord, give me more upon more. We want Jesus to add to what we already have and what we're already doing. Most people, they come to Jesus and they think of Jesus as this sort of chocolate sauce on top of the ice cream that is their life. When Jesus comes back and he says, no, I am the bread that sustains you. I, I am the living water that quenches your thirst. I'm, I'm not some cherry on the top of an ice cream sundae. I am your life. When I say follow me, it is everything. See, most of us, we come to Jesus and we offer Jesus couple hours a week, whatever cash we have left over in our wallet from the week. But, but Jesus' point here to the rich young ruler was more. And he's saying, this life, when, when I say follow me, when, when Jesus invites you in, it is so much more than that. So when you think about the, the history here as we work through the scriptures and we move forward from Matthew 19, just a few chapters, Jesus um, is going to have the last supper with his disciples, then he'll walk to the crucifixion, then, then he's resurrected from the grave, and then we move forward to the ascension, 40 days, Jesus ascends to the heavens, and then we get to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, what we've been reading in reverse all week long, you see the church is, is gathering in together. It's a large contingent of, of Jesus' followers. And as they were gathered together, Jesus' promise is fulfilled. Jesus said, when I ascend, then the Holy Spirit will come down upon the church and be mighty upon the church. 
That day after the ascension, the Holy Spirit came down upon the room where they were. And they were brought together in a way that hadn't been known in ages. As they gathered together, language was no longer a barrier that separated them. People from all over, the Medes, the Jews, the Romans, the Arabs, the Libyans, there were 10 other languages and they could all understand each other even though they spoke different languages. And note what's going on here. As they all gathered together, the Spirit of God empowered a fellowship that was beyond themselves. The, the Spirit of God caused something to happen that they couldn't do. The, this, this multilingual moment that happened in the church was only because of the Spirit. This was Jesus saying, the Spirit is upon you and doing a mighty work in this place. Submit to the Spirit, church, and go and be mighty in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we get together, it is good. But it is the Spirit of God that transforms a moment from a get-together into an anointed appointment as seen in heaven. Now, as they're gathered together, then the Spirit is moving. Peter stands up and, and starts to preach. And he, he preaches about Jesus. He, he, he works through the Old Testament. And from the Old Testament, he tells everybody gathered there about who Jesus was and his friend and his mentor, the man who discipled him and walked with him. He told him all about Jesus. And all that was happening before our text this week, the one we read just before and as, this, is all, this is setting it all up. And as, as Peter finishes his sermon, Scripture says every, they were all moved. There were, there were lots of people gathered around it, and, and they're, they're moved by this. And, and, and they stand up. It's, it's like we had this response time, and they, they stand up to Peter, and they say, well, what's next? What, what do we do? We, we are ready to, to surrender to God. What, what do we do? And so let me on some level, calm your fears. Peter doesn't look out and say, everybody sell your property. But Peter actually says something even more invasive than that. Peter tells them a radical truth that most people don't want to hear. See, most people want to hear, be yourself. Most people want to hear, protect yourself. Most people want to hear, stand up for you. But Peter doesn't say any of that. In fact, Peter says exactly what the flesh doesn't want to hear. Peter says to anybody and everybody, to all of us gathered in the movement of the Spirit, he says, you must repent. He heard these words from Jesus often. They're the first word of Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 4. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He says the same thing in the, in the book of Revelation for the churches to prepare for the apocalypse. He says, churches, repent. This is your preparation for the days ahead. This is what you're supposed to do, to, to repent, and it is to change. Repent means to change your heart to change your mind, to change your actions. You see, and as Peter continued, you see it in the text in Acts chapter two. Peter says to, to repent essentially, essentially means to be the opposite of this perverse generation. He's telling him, forget about that ladder 
that you keep wanting to climb up and up. He says, forget about your old ways and the old days and to leave those things behind. Be made new. Be one who repents of the old ways and now will step forward following Jesus Christ. And we need to see what happens here in in the text when, when the Spirit is present just as the Spirit is present with us today, when when the Spirit is present and the people are repentant, you have an extraordinary recipe for something mighty to happen in the church. And it's pretty remarkable. It's what we were reading just a moment ago in Acts chapter 2. When the church was repentant and the Spirit was moving, you see some remarkable results happening here. One, one of the things that piques our interest is thousands were added to the church. Another thing that piques our interest, it says that the apostles were continuing the signs and wonders of Jesus Christ. That piques our interest. What were they doing? How were they living as the Christ in the You see, we hear of these things in the text, and we think, wow, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could experience these kinds of things in the Spirit? It must have been been perfect and miraculous. But you know what? Just carrying just as much weight as those kinds of things. And just as miraculous, you see in these verses, the church started sharing with one another. Their views on their possessions had changed. When when Peter told the gathered folks to repent, they didn't walk away sulking. They started sharing. And and the Holy Spirit took a bunch of varied people from all over the place and taught it, taught them what it means to love their neighbor as themselves. See, to to love your neighbor and, and to love the person sitting next to you in church means that what's yours is theirs. That if a man is left for dead in a ditch, your cloth is his cloth to wipe up the blood. Your cash is his cash for the hotel room that he needs that night. When the the spirit is moving in your life, your inclination is to share. Life, Life becomes about hospitality and generosity and and takes us away from that ladder in such a way that, that that's not the goal anymore. But the goal now is life in the spirit defined by hospitality and generosity that we can wrap our arms around our neighbor. We can wrap our arms around the people sitting next to us and walk together in this life. You see, this life is not about you being an individual that gets to the top of the building with a ladder. This this life is about you walking together with the people that God has brought you into contact with. It's not an accident that we're in church together. 
And, and God is saying, let's go together because we're, we're better when we're together and we're working together and we're pulling our time and our energy and our resources for the sake of the kingdom of God. And when the spirit is in that, there is no telling what God might do among us. Now, there is a bit of difficulty here because some people read these things about generosity and hospitality and they forget Jesus They forget the Holy Spirit. They'll read stories like this, and they'll read stories like the rich young ruler. And they begin to believe that if I give my stuff away, or if I let people into my home, then I will be saved. But those are not the things that save you. Those things are a product of a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're they're a product of the Spirit working in your life. You see, you can't appease God by giving things away. You can't appease God by giving the cash in your wallet to some guy on the street. But this is what people do all the time. We think, well, I can appease God in this way if I do that. They think that if they'll give a little bit away, God will thank them and save them. But these are not the things that save you. What saves you is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation is back up there with repenting and believing in Jesus. That when you get on your knees and ask God for forgiveness, he's going to reveal many things to you. And this is one of the things that we need to know. When we come to the pages of Scripture and we come into a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ, he is going to change you. He's going to change your heart, and he's going to change your mind. This is, this is where repentance takes root. Jesus, when you walk with him, he's going to reveal many things in your life that must change. In fact, he's going to rip apart your life as you knew it. And most often, one of the things that changes quickly is our budget. Because he changes our view of money. He changes our view of property. See, here in this country, we have this mindset of staking ground as my own. This is my chunk of dirt. This is my recliner on my property, my little kingdom. And you'll find people all over this country who fight tooth and nail for their little square of dirt, surrounding it with no trespassing signs. This is as American as it gets. But Jesus teaches us something different. See, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of your life, you begin to realize that none of this is yours. All of it. A gift of God. Your house is not your own. Your car is not your own. Your bank account is not your own. Your crypto is not your own. Your portfolio is not your own. Your TV is not your own. Your shoes are not your own. Your phone is not your own. All of it, everything belongs to God. Even you, you are not your own. You are bought at a price. You are servant of a king who allows you to manage assets on his behalf. Now you get some leeway as a manager, but it's not yours. In any moment when Jesus says share, you share. Any moment when Jesus says give it all back, you give it all back. 
Because it's his, it's not yours. This all comes with a deepening relationship with Jesus Christ. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your views. He's going to mold you into something different and something better. And every one of us in here needs that. We need to be made whole and complete by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's the call this morning. Will you surrender to Jesus and let him change your heart and let him change your views? Will you surrender to Jesus and be one who is repentant to be raised up in new life by the blood of Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, we pray that as we come to this text, you would help us to see clearly who you are. Lord, that you would help us to step into your presence. And Lord, that you would, you would build us up into the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, we, we want to submit to you and your spirit. Lord, we want to see the flesh set aside so that we can chase after the spirit. Lord, so that we can know you intimately and be near to you. And so, Lord, we trust you with this time. Lord, we trust you with our hearts. And, Lord, we pray that you would make all things new, our mind, our heart, our bodies, our souls. Lord, that we would be in line with heaven and not aligned with this world. It's in the name of our Lord and risen Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.